Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in house in the Central Division. That's right. I'm a meatball. You got to bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, Steve would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome into a winning edition of the Sox on Tap post game show. We have a little three way action for you here on Hump Day. It's Johnny Nani, flanked by Tony Marchese and NWI Steve. Boys, big TWTW victory out in Seattle. We'll take the series today. How are we feeling? We're feeling great here. This is fantastic. Sox win, victory beers. It's uh, some three way action on uh, Sox on Tap. Just right off, fresh off of a socks on tap after dark show. We got more after dark this week. I don't know how it can get dirtier than this on socks on tap, boys. Hey, yo, boys, we're feeling good. You go out there, you take a big series against a hot Seattle Mariner team, and then you follow that up with a little bit of three way action. Woo! Let's do this, boys. I cannot wait to dive into this game. We got a shit ton to talk about because this was an eventful affair, uh, and I think that's an understatement uh, when we're talking about this game and the kind of different ways that it trended. Right, uh, it kind of felt different ways all throughout. You guys, you may be able to break it up into thirds, but you can go even deeper than that, which we will here on the Socks on Tap post game show. But before we get into that, we've already got some comments rolling in here. You can go and join uh, the Rowdy section over on our YouTube channel, on Tap Sportsnet, or on our Facebook page at on Tap Sportsnet as well. Uh, go and leave comments via those because, unfortunately, if you leave them on Twitter, we are not able to pull them into our stream. So Facebook, YouTube, that's where you need to go. Comments, join right here or the Sox on Tap post-game show. All right, boys, let's start off with, with the pitching matchup. Michael Kopech returns today, going up against Luis Castillo for the Mariners, and obviously it was tough early for the Sox. Castillo strikes out seven uh, to start the game here, and I guess this is kind of where uh, you get the doom and gloom feeling early, and it's like this is going to be another righty that dominates us. Yeah, it was a very tough start for this team. Luis Castillo went out there, and he had just – High-end, top-level shit going from the outset here. Uh, those first three innings, like you mentioned, Jonathan, striking out the first seven hitters that he faced, tying a Mariners franchise record um, all the way back from the year of my establishment in 1984. So that's uh, that goes back quite a ways there. So he looked like he was on his game here today, and you knew um, – early on there that this was this was going to be a tough one and that you needed to try to keep this thing close to give yourself an opportunity to win a baseball game. I go back to what we were talking about last night, Johnny. Um, we got to get on this guy early. This is going to be a really tough matchup for the White Sox. And it was. I mean, this is everything that people who've, you know, had their profile picture saying it's over, um, you know, would expect from this White Sox team in, in the first few innings here. I mean, it looked absolutely fucking brutal. Not, nothing, nothing else there. You could tip your cap to uh, Castillo there for, for some of this. Uh, he pitched out of his mind. But on the same note, you know, there were other people out there on the internets that uh, said that the Sox should have picked that guy up. And he could have been in the Sox rotation doing this type of thing. 
he looked really good out there, but you got to put bad on ball. It was really unfortunate the Sox were unable to do that early. This was setting up to be a disastrous day, boys. You know, Anthony, you started off there. If we were on Twitter.com, I would almost think that that was a subtweet. It could be. Could be. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be, guys. Uh, Tony, you going back to something that we talked about last night, though. Remember what I said, and this is not taking anything away from Luis Castillo, but he is gettable, and we saw that later in the game. And We'll get into how the White Sox were able to do that, but um, I would kind of compared it, and it's like, you know, if you get a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander in the zone, it's really, really – even Dylan Cease, we could throw him in there if we're talking about some of these top-end starters. Now, I'm not – I'm saying Luis Castillo is still worthy of respect and all that, but you go and look at his numbers and some of the figures going into this, that's why I thought you have to take advantage of your opportunities, but it's not – impossible and obviously they proved that uh later in this ball game but let's flip it over to the white Sox side on the starting side guys and, and that was michael kopech returning from the il today obviously a bit of a short outing for him um i will say tony there was a sign though early that made me feel a little bit better about his overall outlook go ahead and dive into that because you had brought it up last night on the show yeah i mean the velocity was there johnny and it was there early um and that's something that we talked about last night uh, are we going to get, uh, you know, 80, you, you said it, 88, 89 mile an hour fastball, Kopech in the first, unsure of himself, or is he going to come out there firing? I'm pretty sure he clocked in at 95 on his first or second pitch of the game, and I nodded my head a little bit. I said, okay, we can work with this. I thought he was, uh, you know, fairly, fairly good for coming back off the IL stint. Obviously not the results that you really want from Michael Kopech today, but overall, I thought the the health aspect of his start looked very intact, and that's a good thing for the White Sox going forward. Right. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Steve, go ahead and break it down a little bit uh, performance-wise, what we saw from Kopech on the bump. You know, the biggest thing today here was he didn't have a good feel for the secondary offerings, the curveball and the slider. That was pretty evident. That was something that uh, even good old Gordon Bacon was talking about during the telecast here. Um, you saw a couple of hard biting sliders in there, but overall, you know, the depth just was not there with that pitch today. And that's almost to be expected for a guy that, you know, had a two plus week layoff and he really is very much a feel pitcher. We've seen this uh, on a couple of different occasions with him this year after extended layoffs, just going out there and not having the feel for particularly that secondary offering um, out there. And so there was almost to be expected in certain aspects of it. And then he kind of compounded things, a little bit by working behind in too many counts, um, you know, issuing some walks in there. So I think for what it was today, obviously you would have liked to have seen him cover a few more outs in there. Um, there was some shoddy defense behind him that certainly did not help his cause ultimately, but you know, he could have, um, he could have censured up and hunkered down as the legendary Hawk Harrelson would say in a couple of those instances there to, um, you know, give this team a little bit more length and and not have to cover as much ground out of the bullpen. Right. And that damage that you talk about there, Steve, coming in the third inning of uh, your Rodriguez uh, with two, uh, excuse me, RBI double uh, sack fly by Hanniger, And then the Suarez two run home run wrapping up Kopex day. Uh, it was three and two thirds, four hits, four runs, all of them earned two walks, four strikeouts, the one home run allowed that I had just mentioned there. So um, guys, we went into the bullpen early and it was Jose Ruiz. And usually this spells disaster for the White Sox. 
but it didn't totally today. Let's break it down. How how were the White Sox able to kind of labor through this uh, in the middle innings with a lot of outs to cover here? Anthony, since you're the resident uh, Jose Ruiz guys on, on the broadcast here, I'll let you go ahead and dissect this one. You know, when Jose Ruiz came into this ball game, guys, I, I literally, I, I, I got close to saying the words that have been said by you so many times, Stephen, and I didn't. I, I got to give myself some credit here. Uh, I stuck with this. It was hard, uh, but that's the minute that I went to the beer fridge right there was when Jose Ruiz came into this ball game because Jose Ruiz makes me drink. That's number one. Johnny and, and Steve, you guys both know that. It's amazing to me that the moves in the bullpen today, and this is kind of more overarching, but if you made some of these moves and there was a different manager in that seat, people would be absolutely losing their minds over okay, some of this that's stuff. Just, okay, it, I'm going to have to no. stop you. I'm going to have to stop you right no, there. Steve. No, 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 I'm going to have to stop you right there. That's some serious projecting right there because you feel the need to defend everything that that fucking geriatric fuck does. No. Trust me when I tell you. I'm not even saying of, name. I'm not even calling anybody plenty. by name. I'm not even you know no, calling names I, here. And you're no, you're I'm, just no, off no. the handle right now. No, but I'm just. You I, are I, so I, angry. It's it's. I'm not angry. Let it out. Let it out. You no, need like I'm not angry at all. The White Sox won a fucking baseball game today here. But the fact of the matter is this: there were plenty of people that were hashtag mad online about the fact that Jose Ruiz was brought into this game. So this thing that you're trying to concoct that nobody was mad because it was Miguel Cairo and not some, you know, 80 year old fucker so falls asleep in the dugout is just blatantly false. So then why are there people sitting there calling for Miguel Cairo to be the manager? Like somebody made a website today to make Miguel Cairo the manager. I'm not here to are defend just- Miguel Cairo as the manager. That's not what I'm Okay. So you would have went to Jose Ruiz there. In that spot, no. Okay. All right. So why weren't people visibly upset about it? I, I don't know what you were looking at because I know I was talking to people that were visibly upset about it. Okay. Do it in the shadows, in the private. All right. Got it. I'm sorry I didn't have the opportunity <laughs> to be perusing my timeline the entire time to catch in-depth reaction from, from people to see. Hey, hey, it worked out. And I'll say this, Steve. I'll say this. If it didn't work out, for Miguel Cairo there. I think people would have been upset. We all get upset when, when things go wrong. We all get happy when things go right. It worked out. It just seemingly worked out. I'll give Miguel Cairo the benefit of the doubt here. He got lucky. Let's say that. He got lucky with that because if you would have thought that Jose Ruiz would come into that ball game and be able to, to get you through that, and that wasn't the first time he walked a tightrope in this ball game either with the bullpen decision. If it didn't work out there, I just don't know if the angst level would have been the same. Right. And guys, I think it's important a little bit of context here in this. I don't know if this defends or anything for it, but it's just the facts, what they said, at least what they said after the game. And that was, there were a few guys unavailable. So I guess that limits your options and what you can do there. But alas, like you said, Tony, it actually worked out because Jose Ruiz actually able to get through uh, an inning uh, of, you know, spotless ball here. He didn't, uh, he came into a tough situation with a couple runners on. Uh, I know he did have the walk there, but that kind of looked more like an uh, unintentional, but intentional uh, walk to J-Rod there. So um, that worked out in there. And then we go to a a cast of them, Deakman, Kelly, Bummer, Velasquez, Hendricks. We can get into a little bit more of those guys in a bit, but I want to shift it back to the offense because, uh, White Sox were finally able to get bat, uh, ball, bats on the ball uh, it, it later on in the, in this game against Castillo. Uh, and that started in the fourth with uh, Eloy Jimenez. 
how great was it to see him launch that thing into the second deck in left field? Look, that was huge. And one of the things that Jason and Gordo were talking about there was the overturn on the instant replay that would have potentially ended that inning. Yes. And so now you're you're in a position here where Castillo thinks, hey, I'm I'm cruising through this thing. I've got a four-run lead. I, I get through the fourth inning completely unscathed here. I'm rolling. I'm going to just mow you motherfuckers down. Go home. Get your ass on the plane and mope about it. But then immediately coming off of that replay there, first pitch, Eloy finds the launch codes and just goes right into the second deck. And that is a big momentum turner right there. And, you know, it's um, it, it was very big to see right there because that kind of showed a little bit that, hey, this team isn't going to just roll over and die. I feel like we've seen that far too many times this season here that they get – a little bit of adversity put in front of them. And then it's just, they kind of put their tail between their legs and they're like, well, you know, this is just kind of what it is today, but they didn't do that here in this instance against one of the better pitchers in the American league here, since he came over from the Cincinnati Reds. So to see that that's uh, pretty telling, I think. I, I love that you brought up the, uh, the overturned call there, Steve, and, and something that you've seen, countless times this year is just things not go the White Sox way. I think we've lived that horror story way too many times. And this is a play where, you know, it's, it's sort of by chance. I didn't think that that thing was completely overturnable, um, but you, you got to respect there's hustle out of the, out of the batter's box there from Jose Abreu Um you know, just just things that normally don't go the White Sox way went the White Sox way in that moment. And then they actually followed it up and were opportunistic behind something that went their way. And for a team that's had every single kick in the nuts that you could possibly have, it felt good to kick somebody else in the nuts for once. And I felt like that Eloy home run really got them back into this game because it was like, okay, we've got something. That little jolt right there was so important, and it it really started with beating out that that, that double play that would have ended the inning. Because who the wait? Hell you knows? mean you mean guys on this team are allowed to actually run hard out of the box? Yeah, they are, and it's amazing when that happens. Huh. Yeah, it's it's a rare occurrence, but obviously, see what can happen uh, when it does. Like Watch Gavin Sheets run out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys said, though, uh, the White Sox able to take advantage of it. Opportunistic, Tony, you dropped my favorite word in there. I love it. So, um, and you know, you talk about that being uh, kind of you know a moment where you know we got back in that game. Yes, obviously on the scoreboard, you cut a deficit in half, but emotionally, I think that was huge for them too because uh, you say that double play stands, uh, then you're just feeling even more deflated as you go through there. Boys, top of the six, uh, we talk about you know taking advantage of other teams' mistakes. Well, White Sox were able to do it on multiple occasions here. Uh, and that started with Sebi uh, smashing the ball to third base. A uh, rough inning for Eugenio Suarez there. Um, and White Sox are piling on after that. Um, I know you get a uh, Elvis Andrews, uh, Steve, a guy that you have written about most recently with a little drag bunt. I want to say, at least from the looks of it, didn't look like that was called. Or if it was, he disguised it very well and made it look like it wasn't supposed to. Yeah, to, to me, that did not look like that was something that was called from the dugout. Um, if you kind of go back and watch it a little bit from – the replay there Suarez was playing a little bit deeper on it and I find it just hard to believe that you would try to sacrifice bunt with a catcher running in that particular spot there um obviously a guy in Sebi Zavala that is not exactly fleet of foot I mean he's not Yosemite Grundall slow Gordon Beckham called him fast on the broadcast though so uh, he might have a bone to pick with you 
Well, I mean, so be fast in comparison to. Yeah, I mean, it's all yeah. relative if we're being, if we're being <laughs> right, honest yeah. with ourselves here. But I think that's just another example of Elvis Andrews kind of understanding situations, something that I talked about in my column yesterday here, and something that was really just on full display here. So um, that's definitely something that you like to continue to see. Right, and that inning keeps rolling along. Jose Abreu able to uh, squeeze one through the infield there to make it 4-3, and then Eloy stays hot, uh, uses that little kind of half wall there uh, down the left field line, tied up with an RBI double, and then your boy, your baby boy, Gavin Sheets. Um, I thought he had this one, Tony. It was close to being a three-run shot. However, still a productive out, and we got our guy Matt in here. Productive outs are, and taking advantage of mistakes are blank and blank, cool and tough. Um, We all know that. Your boy able to do that, and that puts the White Sox in the driver's seat for right now. How proud were you, Tony? Very. I mean, that's what we preach here in this house of baseball. It's all about productive outs, running hard out of the box, doing the cool and tough things that uh, that you just have to do to win baseball games. I mean, when you're when you're playing out of position and you got you just got to learn. You're always trying to learn. And he, he was in the media talking about you know how he's taking extra reps every day. He wants to be better. And that's 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 a winning fucking attitude right there. That's a winning attitude out of a, a, a bright young boy. And uh, just every time I see something like this, I, I'm more and more proud of how it's working out because I, I thought he had it too, but it could have been a ground ball. It could have been an unproductive out. And we just determined that, uh, you know, productive outs are cool and tough and getting runs across the board are cool and tough. And, and Gavin finds ways to do that. And I mean, I can't even imagine ever doubting this man. I mean, there's just so much passion. There's some TW, TW there, boys. The title of this episode, I love it. A good drop on there, Tony. So, um, guys, we talk about the roller coaster things going up and down and up and down in this game. Well, the Mariners would fight their way back into this with runs, uh, one each in the bottom of the sixth and bottom of the seventh tier. Um, as we're rolling along our kind of array of bullpen arms that were in this game, Deekman in there, um, for the one of the those that first run, the fifth run for the Mariners, and then uh, it goes to um, who'd we have then after that? Uh, you had Joe Kelly uh, in there as well. And guys, dude, the, the Joe Kelly thing is so scary. I cannot believe he actually threw enough strikes uh, to be able to get out of that fairly relatively unscathed because that run, I believe, did go to Deacon then. You know, I, I Twittered this right when I saw it happen. I said, Joe Kelly, that's exactly what you want to see in this situation because – Boy, let me tell you, does that inspire confidence or what? Were you, were you more upset? I just need a, like a gauge here, Steve. When Jose Ruiz came into the ball, like, what, what worried you more, Joe Kelly or Jose Ruiz? Joe Kelly, on if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, I have no confidence whatsoever in Joe Kelly's ability to get any. I, I feel like I could go up there, not take the bat off my shoulder, stand on the edge of the batter's box, and draw a four-pitch walk. Or not, not, not maybe a four-pitch walk, but take four pitches out of the zone. That's that's where we're at with this guy right now. If we're going, you know, we talked about relative compare, you know, everything's relative there. Well, if uh, Jose Ruiz has poor command, Joe Kelly has no command. I think that's a good way to describe it. See, and that's I'm just I'm trying to level set this because let's let's go look at what the what's what's on the books, the contracts for these fine young gentlemen uh, for that. The Jerry is paying to play baseball here. That's not good. That's not good when Steve is more worried about Joe Kelly right. entering a ball game than what have Jose I, Ruiz. What have I been saying for months here? You know, particularly with the emergence of James Lambert and Ronaldo Lopez, you need to be able to grow and develop your own relievers, not fucking pay for them. Especially when you run 
a major market team like a fucking mom and pop shop wasting eight to ten million dollars and in some cases upwards of 18 million dollars on one relief pitcher is just such horrible resource allocation so if you can actually develop your own relievers you will be in much better position to not have to go and live through the fucking joe kelly experience see how easy it is to get them going on jerry yeah, it, and rick so i i know it didn't end up being total disaster it was close though because you, you have a few more of those pitches that missed there um could be talking about a different outcome. In you think I'm? You think I'm hot right now? But, wait till we get to the next guy. I, oh, I, I can't wait to get no, to you, the next guy. You, usually, yeah. Usually, uh, we would say that a guy is like due for one, right? Or he's going to get back into a groove. You've never had that feeling with Joe Kelly at all this year. Now that turns it over to another guy here, and that is one that we don't know because we haven't seen him since early June. And that's Aaron Bummer, who came in in the seventh and welcome back. Uh, he gives up a solo shot. Uh, in his first batter against, I know the pitch was technically a little bit off the plate outside. However, um, it's mentality with this this guy. Um, we were talking about Aaron Bummer, guys, and I want to dig into it a little bit more. But go ahead. Give, give me your thoughts on Aaron Bummer being back with the team. I know he was able to, even though he loaded up some more guys, was able to get out of that with only the one run allowed. But, man, um, he's deer in the headlights to me. Every time Aaron Bummer walks on the mound, it's almost like Lucas Giolito just gave up three fucking home runs. And that's the attitude you get right there. Like he's he's sulking already. Uh, Johnny, I think you said it very great uh, in, in a text message. So I'll, I'll let you drop it. And, and some of uh, yeah, I, how you would describe right. Aaron Bummer so, when he, even when he gets somebody out. Right. So we just in my first one was that he looks like a deer in headlights. That That's pretty obvious. I think, you know, you just look at his facial expressions. I know body language isn't everything. Some guys are a little more cerebral, but man, he looks defeated. Um, he also looks like I don't know if I've ever seen a major league baseball player of all time that exudes uh, more loser mentality than he does. Um, and then uh, he looks like even after he gets a guy out, doesn't he look like almost apologetic? about it like like i'm sorry i got you out or something like that or i didn't mean to do that um it's i don't know you pitch with some conviction right steve that was the exact word that i was going for there jonathan for a guy that is from the left side 94 95 with all kinds of movement i cannot for the life of me understand how aaron bummer goes out there and refuses to throw anything with conviction the fact of the matter is this, whether you are pitching in Babe Ruth, in high school, lower level minor leagues, or at the major league level, you need to go out there. When you take that ball, when you have it in your hand, you need to believe that you are the baddest motherfucker on the planet. It doesn't matter if Mike Trout is in that batter's box or if it is a guy stepping in that box for the very first time in his career. You need to have the mentality and the mindset that you fucking own him. And Aaron Bummer does not have that. And it pisses me off to no end because with the stuff that that guy has, he should absolutely go out there and be the dominant guy that he was in 2019 and the first part of 2020 before he got hurt. But I don't know what the fuck happened with him. What switch went off when he went on the IL in 2020, but he just has not been the same fucking guy since then. And it makes me fucking sick. Go out there. And act like you own the fucking mound when you have that ball. And here's the problem. That that one season that he had that was really good and 
that that that's the reputation that is preceding him here and getting him high leverage spots late in ball games. That could bite a manager in the ass like nobody's business. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. This isn't the first I don't want to see him in the fucking eighth inning out there doing that shit. This isn't the first time we've talked about this with him, guys, too. I think we got a good comment here from Matt. He says, uh, Bummer plays more mind games with himself than anyone ever. You guys remember, we did, we, it was all three of us. It was another uh, three-way episode, uh, one of those Cubs games back at Wrigley in early May. And Bummer had gotten himself into a jam. Matt Foster comes in, big spot, um, and is able to lock it down. And Matt Foster doesn't have nearly the stuff just physical stuff that Aaron Bummer has. But Matt Foster has a metal mentality, whereas Aaron Bummer has the deer in the headlights mentality. So um, I really hope that he is able to find some sort of inner confidence, <laughs> some, some self-confidence, uh, because guess what? The stuff can play. He's just got to own it. But uh, guys, I can't from, imagine what conversations between Liam Hendricks and Aaron Bummer must be like. Bummer probably avoids him in the locker room. He's too intimidated. But uh, but to to your point though, that's exact. Liam Hendricks exudes what you want from a reliever. Does he go out there and has he had a problem with the home run ball this year? Absolutely. But guess but what? what? He's got the same fucking attitude. Exactly. The next pitch. The exactly. Next pitch. The next exactly. Whether it's the next pitch or the next day when he takes them out, he literally is that psychopath that says, "We're going." Fucking nine pitches, and I'm striking all you motherfuckers out today. You don't have a chance. Kiss my fucking ass. Oh, guys, we will get to that because he did that later in this game. So that, that was very nice to see. But uh, we've had enough of that. And unfortunately, I don't think that's the last we're going to be talking about that when it comes to Aaron Bummer this year. But uh, hopefully that's not for a while. And hopefully uh, the White Sox are able to pad some more runs, uh, have some bigger leads when he comes into games uh, in the future. Boys. Let's talk about the back upswing here on this roller coaster that was this game because yes, the White Sox took advantage of some more uh, Seattle mistakes and just being opportunistic in certain situations late in this game. Um, guys, it was some fundamental baseball here uh, in the top of the eighth. Eloy singles. Garcia gets in there as a pinch runner. Steals second base. Um, good call on that. He got a good jump on it as well. Guess what? Throw goes into center. It's a mistake by the Mariners. He takes third base on that. What do you know? Uh, next guy coming up um, in a position to do so. Gavin Sheets, not the sexiest by any means. However, a productive out because it goes to the left side. It chops high enough. It's an RBI ground out. Tony, once again, your baby boy coming through in the clutch. We worked on this. We worked on this a couple weeks ago. Just, you know, it, you have to be able to put the ball in play here. And I thought that was very well executed. Perfect, uh, you know, height off that chopper. Um, and, you know, it was productive, productive out, productive results, get it done. And that's, again, like I said, that's, that's how we teach them and that's how you should, you should get there. But, uh, Johnny, I want to throw it back to you here for just one second. Uh, Larry Garcia's had so much slander lately. There's been a right. lot of Larry slander. Um, I thought Larry was really fucking opportunistic. Yeah. Um, just swiping bags and getting over to third to put my guy. So I felt like this was kind of like the tag team effort, you know, right. me and you like they're when winning ball games together, uh, you know, your guy, my guy getting the job done. I, I think, you know, that's I, a socks on tap moment there. I mean, one of the best in the season. 
Right. And he deserves the pre and understand there's been some warning criticism, but however, it, once again, part of it's been usage. Well, guess what? You used him in the perfect spot today. And I think that's really what needs to be highlighted. So I, I know we had a discussion here. I like the, Miguel, I like the right Cairo later, but this is a good decision, you know, uh, by, by Miguel Cairo to go and pinch run him there, obviously. Uh, Tony that run and, and you're able to. Tony the Russo would have started, Larry. So let's <laughs> yeah. stop that right here. <laughs> so. You, you go and you get him there and hey, give him credit. That was, was a good jump on that. He, he got a good jump. And he used his wheels to get there. And then obviously uh, he had the wherewithal to know where the ball was going and get up, go to third base there. So uh, Mr. Uh, Lurie Garcia deserves some praise uh, from the White Sox fan base, in my opinion, because uh, that would end up being the game winning run uh, that he scored. But the Sox weren't done, guys. Uh, able to add on in the ninth um, with a series of other things, too. We got a, a couple of singles, Sebi uh, Sack Bunt there um and then you had uh bray with the sack fly uh in this one it felt really really good uh to be able to add on these extra runs because i, I was still sitting on pins and needles even with that three run lead how much worse it would have been uh with uh just the one run lead so um overall at the end of the day liam hendricks comes in locks it down three strikeouts uh steve this is something that you and i had talked about the other night with it being you know sometimes a little too dicey with Hendricks. This is the form that we want to see him get back to. And if this is any indication going to play his former team, I think we're in a good spot. That's what you need to see right there. You know, um, and, and Sal right here, our guy, very astute talking about insurance runs being cold and tough. Look, we talk about this all the time too. When you have an opportunity to add on additional runs, put more pressure on the opposition, and make that deficit bigger. You have to be able to do it. So that was huge right there, getting those two runs in the top of the ninth, being opportunistic, taking advantage of more Seattle Mariners defensive miscues. And then Liam Hendricks just going out there saying, all right, I got my lead here. We got the shadows going. I'm going right at you, motherfuckers. There ain't nothing you can do today. Let's go home. Let's get on that plane and have a happy flight down to fucking Oakland. I like you add that in there, too, because it's not just taking advantage of the other teams. It's taking advantage of situations. And guess what? The ballpark presents situations. So Lance talked about using that to his advantage in Monday uh, in his start where, guess what? He ends up striking out 11. Liam Hendricks strikes out the side here. Uh, no drama, no bullshit. White Sox win uh, this one. Guys, one name that we didn't really get to in here I want to talk about is Vince Velasquez. How about the Stones to come in the high leverage situation in the eighth inning after the White Sox had added the go-ahead run and Vince typically not a guy in the spot. He's usually been your kind of, obviously he's been in the starting rotation at times. He's been a long reliever at times. He's been the mop-up guy at times. He comes in here with some guys not available, as Cairo said, after the game, and he locks it down. No drama, no bullshit. I loved seeing that. Vinny Velo, you get my game ball right there. This guy's a fucking roller coaster, Johnny. I, You know, you, you've seen him in every single role that you could ever ask a, a, a pitcher to be in. Um, you know, he's a competitive ball club's Ross Detweiler, it feels like these days. Um, you know, he's he's gotten himself absolutely beat up in certain situations. He's come out like on days like today and been nails. So uh, obviously the stuff is there for him. It's all about just, honing that in and getting through uh, what he needs to get through. But 
I, I thought this guy was destined for long relief. I was surprised that he was in this game. I think I texted everybody, really, we're going to Vinny. Um, I questioned that one. Worked out. It's baseball. I mean, I, they're, they're, Vince over bummer, Johnny. I think you've got it. That yeah, hated right there. Holy shit! Like that was that was a tightrope act, right? And it it, it worked, right? And that, like I said, that gets my game ball. I know it's not the sexiest moment of this game, but it was a big one. It was a big one for the White Sox, given uh, the situation of the game. You know, they give that Randy Moss jersey out after every game. Vince got it today, and Hendricks had talked about it a little bit after the game. But here on Sox on Tap, I, I just said mine there. I'll give mine to Vince. But I want to hear who you'd give the game ball to in such a wild affair that had so many happenings today. Uh, go, go ahead and pick one. And explain a couple sentences why. Oh man, if if we're gonna pick just one guy here, um, I th- I think I gotta go to Tony's baby boy Gavin Sheets for coming through and delivering in multiple situations here in in different ways, putting bat on ball. Um, that was something that was problematic in the game on Sunday against Minnesota when they had an opportunity to come back and, and win. And Gavin had a, an an unfortunate crucial strikeout in that ball game there. Um, So for him to, in two different spots right there, one with the sack fly and then one with the high chopper there to get those runs in, in pivotal situations that this team has struggled in so mightily all season right there. That would be my guy. I'm going to go with Eloy Jimenez. Um. Someone's got to start the party, right? So yeah, you're right. Somebody's got to start the party, Johnny. And you know what? Eloy Jimenez started the party. I think he was uh what was he uh three for four today? Uh he got the job done. Um just cool and tough shit. You know, you, you second deck shots. Second deck shots are, are 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 sexy and they're cool and tough. And if they were at home, would have lit off fireworks. I think that ball would have been on the concourse potentially. At, at guaranteed rate, but he'd be, he'd be taking out some kids in the fundamentals deck. Could have been. I want one on the fundamentals <laughs> deck. I want one on the fundamentals deck so bad. We might have to have like a home run derby there, but Eloy's my guy, my pick to put one on that fundamentals yeah. deck, at least at one point. But Frank, Frank out of retirement with aluminum bat. That'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. I think, you know, that, I, I, I can absolutely close. do it. I came close one time to seeing someone putting on the fundamentals deck. So it was an August game in 2006 against Kansas city. And this game was really unique in the sense that the Royals, I I can't remember who they had leading off that day, let off with the home run bottom half of the inning. Pablo Zuna leads off with the home run top two Royals leadoff hitter hits a bomb bottom two JD leads off. With, with a home run that literally lands right below the fundamentals deck. And that's the closest I've ever Ooh. seen to anybody doing it in that, in that ballpark there. Oh, I think, man. I think I was, I was sold by grainy highlights of Eloy Jimenez hitting home runs. Yeah. That he will at one point put one. On hey, the fundamentals he, deck. he does have a fan deck shot. So we, we do, we do have that first that's... home run. So let's, let's get, he needs to outdo Sal Perez now because Perez did, earlier this season take one i think it was kopak too um just took him to the moon with that one so i can't wait to see it um when the boys are back in town but till then we, we've got another uh leg of this road trip guys and it is a house of oars that we're going to who was um in oakland <laughs> and uh it's a four game set uh, it'll start thursday night 8 40 p.m our time here so that means socks on tap after dark um can't wait for that but i think even more exciting dylan cease taking the mound um Thoughts on Cease Day? 
I'm I'm pretty confident heading into this for wild reasons, and it's the it's just the fact that Dylan Cease is on the mound for us, gonna set the tone for this Oakland series. Normally, I'm I'm scared shitless anytime I see Oakland away games and having to do socks on tap post games after the White Sox visit there at probably somewhere near 1 a.m. because I know that normally that means I'm drinking misery beers. We're talking about some weird, bad shit that happened. But I think if there is the perfect White Sox starter to go into this series and start game one, Dylan Cease is the guy that I want to go there. So I'm feeling pretty good. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about this. Oakland's not good. Dylan Cease is awesome. He just fucking mowed down the Minnesota Twins. Let's carry this into Oakland. Set the tone there. That's where I'm on. If you want to be the team that ultimately survives this three-way dance to win the American League Central and get into the postseason, you need to go out to Oakland and you need to kick a piss-poor team right square in the fucking nuts. And you do it tomorrow with your ace on the mound, Dylan Cease, follow up what you did, what we all got to witness this past Saturday, aggressiveness, pound the strike zone, go right after these sons of bitches. It's a big ballpark, heavy air at night. Make them beat you. They can't. You got a lot of foul ground out there. Make them put the ball in play. But again, they can't hurt you. And then the other thing too, this is going to be the Elvis Andrus revenge game. Yes. Steve, you read my mind. Yes. I was going to say that's a great storyline. Cease, obviously, see how he fares coming off uh, of such an adrenaline-packed uh, victory that we were all in, which was just too sweet on Saturday night. Um, however, Elvis Andrews cut by the A's. They wouldn't have to pay his 15 million player option should he have reached the plate appearance, uh, um, you know, kind of benchmark that he needed to reach there. Uh, you know, that's in the back of his mind. He's a consummate professional, but shit, these guys are still people at the end of the day. And the Oakland A's don't treat their players as people very well. And that was on full display um, with that move. But hey, benefits our White Sox here because he has been a godsend uh, in Tim Anderson's absence. So I can't wait for that. And I'll just go ahead right away. And Elvis Andrews is my pick to click. Uh, I think I might just Stole run him all it. weekend, all weekend. Stole it. Stole it. Yep, yep. Stole it. I think that's. Stole it. I think we all came into the show. I mean, great minds think alike, boys. But I, I haven't taken Elvis Andrews this entire time. And I had a feeling that Steve was going to grab him. So I was going to try and get in there before yeah. Steve, because he just wrote the article about this guy. Johnny, we were talking a little bit about it yesterday. I kind of want to hear some, some thoughts from Steve. If we could break away from pick the click for just a minute. Right. Here. Yeah. Let's talk about Elvis Andrews. Let's yeah. talk about what he's been for this ball club. Yeah. And, you know, we'll come back to the we pick the click here in a minute, but what do you like? Tim Anderson comes like I, I've, I don't want to, I don't want to say this too loud. But like I've completely forgotten that Tim Anderson is even part of this team for a little while because Elvis Andres has really been the the shortstop that I right. want this team to have. And I just want to He's preface. Productive. I just want to preface that is that Tim wasn't as loud with the bat 
prior to. And I think that might have made a difference in, you know, you kind of, oh, we're missing him. We're missing this pop, this thunder. Maybe if it was 2019 uh, levels of it, 2021, some some stretches there. But uh, Steve, I'll hand the, the floor over to you because uh, you, you had written up that column there at ontapsportsnet.com. Go ahead, dive in, let the listeners know. The word is this on Elvis Andrus, stability. That is the one thing that this team needed in the absence of Tim Anderson, who is in a lot of ways, one of the emotional leaders on this team. And also a guy who plays a very pivotal position in the shortstop. That's, you know, the captain of, of the diamond out there. Elvis Andrus, this is a guy that is a battle tested veteran. He's was a corner piece of a Texas Rangers core group that, won back-to-back pennants, and once in the playoffs five times in seven years. Two-time All-Star. This is a guy that is just a consummate professional. We have seen this in the three or four weeks that he has been on this team. He just goes out there and does the right things day in and day out. Yeah, there was there there was the little sliding error that happened here today. Look, those kinds of physical things are going to happen at times. But the thing about it is he is constantly putting himself in the right position. This is a winning baseball player. This is what this team needs because they are so sloppy fundamentally that you have someone that can come in there, not make the fundamental mistakes that this team does all across the rest of the diamond there at a pivotal position like shortstop and provide that stability. That is huge. Oh, and by the way, he's fucking hitting. Small sample size theater here, Steve, and I will I will qualify it with small sample size theater. But you talk about a guy that that does you know he'll make an error here or there. His his bat's hot right now, so I think it's sort of amplified his effect on this ball club. But also the fact that he comes in every day and does his job, and the same way that we just talked about. Aaron Bummer's mentality on the mound versus a lot of the other White Sox positional players and how they play the game of baseball. I think Elvis Andrews has been an absolute breath of fresh air for this ball club because the same way we look at pitchers go pitch to pitch. I look at Elvis Andrews and I say, okay, at bat to at bat and even rep in the field to rep in the field, he'll drop a ball on that sliding play. And he's even trying to help Yohan Moncada know like, Hey, that, that thing's still in play or I'm, I'm trying to sell it. Maybe that was foul. He's trying to do things to help his team win ball games. And it's evident. It's clearly evident when you watch him play this game, he's doing that. I don't want him to, to leave this ball club just because Tim Anderson comes off the IL. That's my biggest fear right now because I think he's had a tremendous impact on this ball club. I would say he's been one of the biggest pickups for this team in the last couple of years. Just based off this small sample size, watching him play the game, he plays it the right way. He does things that some of the younger guys don't do. And I think he is actually one of the reasons this ball club has turned itself around especially at a, a premier position shortstop and the, the same leadership stuff, the veteran stuff that you're talking about right here, there was a real attitude change. And I would say it was when he joined this ball club, it took a, a couple, couple, maybe a week to, to kick in, but the last two weeks, 
they've been playing differently. And I think he's got a lot to do with it. Right. And uh, Tony, you said something there about he goes out there and he does his job. It's very simple, but I think we need a departed meme um, with Elvis Andrews over Dignam's face. And I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy, right? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think we, we need that. But I think our guy Matt says it well in here. And I think Steve echoed this in his column uh, starting second base. Once uh, Tim comes back or we riot, there's no better choice. It's the only acceptable move. I don't disagree. So I'm right there with you. I feel like a lot of people are. Uh, I was listening to the radio the other day a little bit. Len Casper seems to agree with that sentiment as well. Um, so I, I think that's a logical uh, move for him to go slide over to second base when Tim, when, excuse me, if Tim Anderson comes back, we shall see. Um, obviously that timeline would still be probably a couple of weeks off here at the earliest. So guys, um, it, we had talked a lot about, um, you know, the picks to click. I think it's safe to do Elvis across the board here, but um, I guess some final thoughts from this, because this, this is, you know, the, the, one of the biggest wins of the season. I know a lot of these have been, we talked about those with some of the Astros ones, the ass kicking that they gave the Minnesota twins. And we were all there Saturday. That was another big one. They keep passing up but when you do this and you have the adversity in there like yeah don't get me wrong the twins win was fun and i like seeing a lot of home runs and fireworks but there's very little adversity in that game if anything there's maybe a little bit at the end with the cease thing and that was just trying to accomplish a milestone there this one where'd you rank it one of the top three wins of the season top one yeah, I would say it's definitely a top three win right there. Just again, knowing that you're down four to nothing early against a premium pitcher in Luis Castillo on the road. Um, you you started this game off not looking particularly strong. So, and the other thing about it too was you know kind of losing a a tight knit game the day before. All of a sudden, you fall back to 500. You're in this position. You're thinking, okay, well. Here we go again, going to get back below 500. And that's the type of thing that in years past would snowball into that Oakland series there on the West Coast. So to overcome that and not have that kind of burden weighing you down as you get on that plane and go south down Oakland, I mean, that's that's definitely a top three win right there as far as I'm concerned. You know, Johnny, we say this all the time. You're only as good as your last envelope. And, you know, getting in the left-hand column is the most important thing. So I'm going to rank this one actually my favorite win of the season for a lot of reasons. Uh, The Sox were in the most debt, I think, that they had been in in any ball game about halfway through here. No hits, (laughs) fucking striking out all the time. I mean, you, you you let the opposing pitcher kind of tie a franchise record. So you, you were in some trouble. That that debt was, was real fucking high. And they paid that off, and then they did more. So the envelope came in real fat today, Johnny. It came in so fat that you can't even imagine. And for the reasons that you also had two guys, Jose Ruiz and Vinny V., Contribute to that in pretty high leverage spots when you look at it. You got a complete team effort today. You got ball in air when you needed ball in air. You had opportunistic when you needed opportunistic. You had everything that you wanted from a really good baseball team. 
that's the best right. win of the season. Right. And I would agree. Uh, I'll rank that up there as well. And I wanted to ask that because the next question would be, are the White Sox hashtag redacted here? Um, right. There's been some that want to say it. There's been some that have been reserved, like me and Steve on, on one end. Um, but I just wanted to add in here that I, this is something that I shared with you guys in person during the suite. But I, I wanted to bring it to the show because I have a very specific three-prong approach to them being hashtag redacted until i actually say it and remove the redacted from there and it's above 500 there you are you got that that's checked you need to be in first place obviously we know still ways to go there uh in this but you know you need a little bit of help there but keep taking care of your own business and you should be in some good shape to move towards that right then the third one is a little bit less uh you know black and white and it's a little bit more subjective and that is consistent hashtag twtw so tying back in to our episode here what i saw today was what we wish we could have seen all year, what we thought we were going to see all year, what we saw a lot in the first half of last year, right, in some of the fashions in which they won those ball games. This added major stonks to that category. So we're getting closer. We're getting closer to it. Obviously, we've still work to do, but I just wanted to commend them for that because that was some TWTW out there today. I want to hear Steve's response, and then I've got I've got my piece to say. I think Jonathan nailed it. I really echo all of the sentiments that he is offering right there. Look, you can't say they're hashtag redacted if they're at or below 500. It just simply doesn't work like that, especially knowing that only one team out of the Central is getting to October. It's very clear at this juncture, nobody's getting a wild card out of this division here. So you got to chase down two teams here, okay? Um the Twins are doing what they do in New York right now. So we could be going to bed here with the Sox in second place. Okay. So that's that's one one other aspect of this here. So we're we're making incremental progress here towards potentially being yeah. hashtag redacted. You, you got to do it in chunks. You can't do it all at once. If there was a switch, they could flip and do it overnight. Please believe me. I wish they would have done it in friggin' April. Doesn't work that way. Season's a grind. 162 games for a reason. We are climbing climbing towards that tony so i i'll just uh start this off with a, a little story time here uh you know i got to a lot b on opening day and one of my best friends said can you be redacted if you never left and i said feels like we never left i i never left this one I've never left this season. I've never had my serious doubts. And I've been accused of being the most positive White Sox fan, which is just such a weird thing for me uh, through the course of this year, uh, considering that, you know, I'm normally the one of the most mad online. But, you know, I've worked on myself a lot through this this baseball season. And I've worked on myself as a baseball fan. And there's one thing I've always said. I love baseball because baseball games, it's never over until the final out. And much like a baseball game that's never over until the final out, I've been there. I'm sitting in the stands. I'm still drinking my beers throughout this entire season. And I see wins like today. I see wins where it looks pretty fucking bleak. And then they come back. And I see the White Sox team doing a lot of shit metaphorically to today's ball game. 
especially late. Now, can I be extremely let down? Am I following the advice of hashtag negative Nani? Am I getting way too far up for the letdown? I don't know. But I was told to enjoy the ride, and that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm at with this. So I, could, could could you I'm could you say that I never left? I'm still on the ride. I'm, I feel like a lot of people got off the ride. I'm still on the ride. I won't judge how other people want to fin, but I will explain myself and how I want to. I but think I you're give. yeah, I think you're completely logical. I think I'm fucking crazy. Right. So that's good. That's good. I, I like the blend that we have here. Boys, it, it was great being back on here for the what, what do we have in here? Yeah, a, a little joke time here at the end. 69 Mega. Socks on tap after dark, presented by 69 Mega. We got some spam in here, and it's hilarious because that's the, hey Johnny, that's the, two in a the, row for the, us. Here. Yeah, the, the, the episode description has a, a bunch of about sixes and nines because that was a very nice win today. A in the fashion in which they won it, and by the score, right? And that was the White Sox 69th win of the year. So hey, that's we, a, we, we had a nice show. Guys. Right. We, we had a nice show here. So that then that, that brings out the bots. So uh, our our post game shows bring all the bots to the yard, uh, to the stream I like, yard. I liked our guy. Matt. I like. So, I did. I did like our guy Matt saying a lot of in tone spection. Yeah, that, that was yeah. yeah. So it, where, where do we have it? It was socks on tab after dark. Yeah, uh, we had. 69 mega that's what it was yeah <laughs> 69 mega for life i love it i love it guys i love we're going to have a fun episode like that because the white Sox are doing fun things on the field so hopefully a lot more to talk about this weekend we'll be back here uh, with a couple editions of socks on tap after dark for the first two uh and then a couple of day games as well to follow uh in oakland so uh, make sure you tune it in here on tap sportsnet on youtube on tap sportsnet on facebook and on twitter as well as at socks on tap on twitter then on tap sportsnet.com is a place to go for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs and as always you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts all right boys excellent show tonight excellent white Sox win can't wait to be back at it for a long weekend tony we already know the weekend starts on thursday yes it does let's start it off talking about a cease gem tomorrow night I don't got anything else. Until next time, White Sox forever. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.